Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10. And I guess I got to get there. There we go. And we'll read verses 1 through 13. And we'll do a little bit of a little bit of review, but not a lot. How many had a good week? Who had a good week? Who had a rough week? All right, I'm with y'all. <laughs> mm. It was definitely one of those. Uh, these flowers over here are in honor of Pastor Ray. And uh, once again, just continue to please be in prayer uh, for Miss Charlotte and uh, give her any and all support that you can, even just a, a conversation, just pick up the phone and call. I'm giving your number to everybody, Miss Charlotte, everybody. So if you need her number, just come get it, I'll give it to you. Um, but we just wanna encourage her and love on her during this time. But uh, what, a, what a man, what a legacy, amen? He, he touched a lot of lives and uh, what an example of just being a kind human being, you know, and a follower of Jesus. And so many lessons for us to learn from him. And I'm just grateful and thankful for the example that he was to me. Uh, I'm going to pray one more time and we'll jump in. Father, we need your spirit. We ask that you would speak. Do what only you can do. And Father, I, I pray that uh, it would be a supernatural work. Father, something that's above us. Knowing, Father, that the barriers that are in our hearts right now in this moment the things that we think that we can't, uh, we can't do without, maybe a, a sin, maybe something that, a relationship, maybe that's stopping someone from reaching their spiritual potential. Father, I, I pray that you would break those chains today. I pray today would be a eye-opening experience in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read the text together. And then we'll, uh, we'll parse it out. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them for their, is for their salvation. Don't miss that. I'm going to read that again. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. Now, just to, for, for brief, can see you, Bubba, for brief uh, review, uh, we're coming off of some talk about election. And once again, Cody handled a lot of that. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message if you weren't here. But uh, just to give you a brief kind of understanding of it, it's many people take that, that topic of election, and, and I, I use this term, they weaponize it. Uh, the Bible says that the Bible is uh, a, a double-edged sword. You know, it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The Word of God is enough. It's powerful enough, and it does the work that the Word of God is supposed to do. I believe that, uh, you know, think about John 1, and I know I'm rabbit trailing a little bit, but stay with me. John 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So this Word, this manifestation, the Greek word is logos, but, um, you know, Christ embodied the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit that leads and that guides and directs, leads and guides and directs according to God's word. And it's like Jesus doesn't go out on his own and do something that the Father wouldn't uh, permit him to do. And therefore, the Holy Spirit isn't going to lead you to do something that Jesus did or didn't do, right? Uh, more did, not didn't. Uh, so my point is, is in the community of the Godhead, which is a wild thing for us to wrap our brains around, in that community uh, is continuity, right? They are uh, co-equal and consubstantial. They are of the same substance, of the same rank, but they work together in this uh, incredible synergism. It's this dance that we see even in creation, even to uh, the relationship between God and mankind. It is this community thing that God is going on. God was uh, fully vested in the community of the Godhead before we were ever a twinkle in the, in the Lord's eye. Before we were ever here, he was good and had enough within himself to dwell forever and ever. Uh, he didn't create us out of a place of need. He wanted us, desires us, and, and the same is true today. Um, anyway, so we're, we're getting this, this picture that we're painting here that uh, especially coming from 
last chapter that the Lord elects according to his purposes. And, you know, Cody talked about Pharaoh and how the Lord, some, some to honor, some to dishonor. But ultimately, what we see is the responsibility is on the one who is elected. The responsibility is on you and I to take the message that the Lord entrusts to us to share it with someone else. We think about Paul's language here, right, around Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles. Once again, this is a, uh, a letter, Romans is a letter, written to four to five house churches in the territory of Rome. And so uh, the Jewish people have been put through it, right? At this point in time, they're the lower class citizen. They're the ones who have been exiled. They're the ones who have been uh, kind of marginalized and exiled, and then now they're Uh, kind of trickling back into the empire. And when they meet together in these house churches, the gospel, the good news, Romans 1.16, has gone out, and now you have non-Torah abiding Gentiles hearing about what Jesus did. And so then they're making their way uh, into the church, and you have these people who were just excited about who Jesus is and what he did for them, and they're believing and trusting and declaring their loyalty to them. But then you have all of these Jews who have known, known the Lord, right, Yahweh, and declared him as their God for centuries, millennia rather. And then the two come together, and one looks at the other and looks down their nose. The Torah-abiding Jew looks at the non-Torah-abiding Gentile and says, you think you understand who God is? I really understand. I really get it. And, and consider this, the Gentile, not really oppressed in this uh, Roman regime, are doing better financially. They're uh, the more affluent in that community. So not only did the Jews have a chip on their shoulder towards them because they weren't Torah abiding, but because of the marginalization that was happening during that time. So hence the letter. Hence Paul stepping in and saying, this letter needs read among the churches in Rome. And and the goal is uh, Christoformity. It's all of them, Torah-abiding Jew, non-Torah-abiding Gentile, coming together and uniformly uh, presenting Christ to non-believers, becoming who he is. And Paul is very clear that becoming who Jesus is isn't abiding by the Torah or not abiding by the Torah. It's not a specific set of rules. It's an affiliation. It is a declaring of loyalty, declaring of terms that he is your God and he is the one who you are accepting regardless of your background, regardless of what nation you come from. Does that make sense? That's where we're kind of headed. And so uh, Paul has this flashback moment and he starts talking about God's people in Romans chapter nine and their corporate election and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, And so he's still referencing that going into chapter 10. But I'll say this, uh, consider the fact, what what I'm really looking for here in these first 13 verses is the tone. What I'm really wanting you to see is the spirit and and what he is saying and how it kind of cuts through. It hits differently than uh, chapter 9 and what he's saying. He's really getting to the heart of, of the matter here. And so the title of today's message is, What Really Matters? What, what Really Matters? And, and honestly, like, we see in, in, in chapter 10 a few famous verses, like verse 9 and verse 13, that are used in uh, what I would call like the point of sale for Christians, where you're leading someone to Jesus, and at this moment you need to pray and ask Jesus to save you, right? And we use those verses uh, in King James that's... Uh, I'd have to read it in CSB, but King James is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Here's another famous one, the end of the text that we're gonna read. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? These are big texts that we summon for leading someone to Jesus, but maybe it's not as mechanical as we think it is. Maybe it's not as much about uh, pray this prayer and declare, bug, he just came right in here, didn't he? Uh, But maybe it's not as much about this act, one, two, three, repeat after me, as it is about a posture and an attitude that Paul is taking towards them. So that's what I want to see. And and I'm well aware, like I'm going to take this 
uh, a different direction, and I'm going to apply this passage of Scripture to us. And in our context, uh, some of it's apples for apples, and some of it maybe not, uh, but I think you'll understand where I'm going with it. But look at it again. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. For those that were, you know, the the Jews that are still caught in their system of religion and haven't discovered the Messiah and the relationship of Jesus. Look at verse number two. I can testify about them that they have, what's that next word? Zeal for God. Now, I want you to remember that even in Jesus' disciples, one of the 12, uh, think of Simon the Zealot. Even among, uh, among Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot, that term zealot was used uh, as someone that was a, uh, a fundamentalist, if you will. A, a Judaizer that looked at others that accepted Jesus as blasphemers. Remember, before Paul was an apostle, what was his name? Saul of Tarshish. I don't think I said that right. (laughs) Sometimes it rolls off the tongue and other times it doesn't. (laughs) It just kind of kept going, didn't it? (laughs) But but you see this, this guy, Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And what did Saul do? He persecuted Christians. That word zeal, it's not, oh yeah, they're zeal for God, they're happy. (laughs) No, what he's saying, the, the, the underlying current of what Paul is saying, my heart is broken for my brothers and sisters who are still caught in the spirit of religion. My heart is broken for people who still have the same perspective that I was saved out of. Here's, here's what I'm saying to y'all. We miss sometimes the testimony, the undercurrent of the text here of what Paul is saying. Do we understand what Paul was saved from? My man killed Christians. He held the coats of those that stoned uh, Stephen. He orchestrated, he was on his way to lock Christians up when the Lord knocked him off his donkey and gloriously saved him and radically changed him. Paul is having a moment in this letter saying, my brothers and sisters that are still doing the work of the devil that I was saved from. Do you see that? Those that are or have zeal for God but not according to knowledge. The same, the same line as Simon the Zealot. Even in the 12 disciples that, that, that Christ would have, there would be one that was, watch this, politically right wing. An extremist, rather. So far the other way, these guys, the zealots, would literally hide knives in their, in their robes and they would kill people. Hence, Paul locking up Christians. The Sanhedrin giving orders to exterminate these weirdos called Christians. That's who he's talking about. Those people that have zeal, but uh, not according to, to knowledge, right? This, we're painting this picture. Understand that like, the greatest thing about Paul's letters is the fact that Paul would have never wrote what he wrote had, had it not been for the Lord changing his life. What's the... <laughs> How do you know that this is real? How do you know that scripture is actually like the real deal? Do you know who Paul was before he was Paul? You can't make that stuff up. This isn't just some fluffy story that somebody's writing down. This dude killed Christians and then became a Christian. If it was up to him, all of them would have been dead. And so therefore, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul was well aware of who God uh, grabbed and saved and made the spokesperson for Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's election is according to his will, not ours. And if he had not elected Paul, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hit his heart as it does. Why do the 13 letters matter? Because of who he was before Jesus elected him to be an ambassador. Look, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when the Lord radically changes someone who is absolutely against the Lord, take notice. There are people right now that I'm praying for that come to the Lord that are radically against uh, God and Christianity. Why do I think this message is so important right now? because of the polarization that's happening in our society. I mean, if you've been on social media at all, uh, you know, it's just erupted with Roe v. Wade and, and uh, the, 
gun laws that are changing and all this. I mean, it's, it's crazy off the hook right now. And it's not going to get any better with midterms and then with 2024. You know what I'm saying? It's going to get more polarizing. And so we need to ask ourselves this question, what really matters? And so my point is, is in this text, buried in this text, right there for us to see imprinted is the fact that Paul is saying, my heart's desire is for those people that believe radically different than I do right now. Hmm. Everybody say, hmm. Hmm. Y'all like, look, can we just have a church of everybody that votes the same way? The answer is no. It wouldn't be a church if it was. It'd be a lot easier, though. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier. Look, y'all want to be pastor for a day? Come on now. Sometimes I feel duplicit. I do. But look, it's, it's what really matters. If we don't figure this thing out, the church of God is not going to grow the way it should. I'm telling you. Paul says, go back to verse number one. I'm taking my time walking through this. You're like, I know, hurry it on up. We got lunch. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish, this is key, their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down uh, or who will go down into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. What really matters? Say, say to your neighbor, what really matters? What really matters? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, he's still pushing this message of unity. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses what? All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? This is an inclusive message. Does anybody see that? But you're like, what about all those people that I don't like? What about all those people that don't think the way I think? Is it for them too? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say no. <laughs> no, just kidding. It ain't for you. It's for everybody. He uses inclusive language, and then Deboot starts off the whole passage by saying, I, read it again, brothers and sisters, my heart's what? Desire and prayers for them to come to know the Lord. Think about this, church. All right, this passage of scripture, very practical. I have three points for you. They're not really alliterated. They just build on each other. And I promise if you'll think and pray through this with me, you'll be blessed. This is kind of what I walked away with. Number one. Verse number one, my heart's desire and prayer, the one who knows, we're going to say Paul is the one who knows, he's writing this letter, he's been radically changed, he, believing that his people, the Jewish people, were better and superior than all the others, has been radically changed and is now writing letters to other Jews saying, you ain't better than nobody. Man, what is going on? What's going on? is that my man accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. But you say, well, I accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I don't think other people are better or the same as me. That's the problem. I, it hasn't really changed me. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Ask yourself this question, what really matters? What really matters? What's getting the most airtime in your conversations over the last week? Go back through your text messages. Go back through your, your carefully curated social feed. 
Go back through your phone calls and think about, what have I been talking a lot about? What really what matters? Number one, what really matters is that the one who knows should be the one who shows. The one who knows, Paul, should be the one who shows. Well, shows what? I'll show them that they're dumb. (laughs) I'll show them that they don't know like I know. Okay. All right. Paul says, my desire, my heart's desire, he had an internal position of love for folks that were different than him. Love people because they are image bearers of God, not because they agree with you. The one who knows. Well, I'm just sharing Jesus with everybody. Okay, are you really? Are you sharing Jesus or are you sharing your social constructs? Are you sharing Jesus or are you, share, are you sharing the list of qualifications to be your friend? Are you sharing Jesus? If you're sharing your dinner table, then chances are you might be sharing Jesus. The gospel, as Miss Ro- uh, what's her name? Rosaria says, the gospel comes with a house key. And if it doesn't come with a house key, chances are it ain't the gospel. Chances are it's your list of requirements to get to know you because you're an awesome person and you surround yourself with people that you like and that you agree with, yada, yada, yada. Huh. What? Ask yourself this question, what really matters? What really matters? Is it that I have a bunch of friends? Is it that I have a social group that I can lean on? When I preach a message like this, here's what I want you to know. I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying having friends are a bad thing. I'm not saying uh, going out to dinner with people that think like you is a bad thing. You understand what I'm saying? Do you get the point? The point is, is that all you do? Do you never put yourself in uncomfortable situations? Just to clarify. Pastor doesn't like us to have friends. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. That's really not what I'm saying. I'm just making a point, rather, with some hyperbole, but... The one who knows should be the one who shows. Paul clearly, Scripture says, in some having compassion, making the difference. Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he was what? Moved. My heart's prayer is for those people that don't know what I know to be like me and to know what I know. And I don't mean like vote the way I vote. Look, this is going to be like one of those messages. Why? Because of the, the, the political climate and everything that's going on. You need this today, all right? I needed it. What I'm giving you is what the Lord gave me this week. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's so much easier to just be around people that share our ideologies. And it's so much harder to have compassion for people who think they know, but they don't know. Well, pastor, isn't that a little like you think they know? You kind of think you know? Well, yeah. (laughs) We all do it, but it's difficult. It's hard, but it's necessary. And so here's here's what I'm saying surrounded by the verses that we use to lead everybody to Jesus, the Romans road, (laughs) if you've been saved for a long time. Everybody knows about the Romans road, right? It's a string of verses that we pull, not necessarily out of context, but we pull them out to introduce someone to a relationship with Jesus. But what I'm saying is really the meat of what's introducing them to Jesus is a broken heart is someone that is in love with them even though they aren't someone that they would normally love. This is what really matters. Everybody's like, why? But I know I'm right. I got a list of verses to copy and paste on every person's wall that says that this is a bad decision of a Supreme Court justice. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Why am, why, why am I not the president of the United States? I know. Okay. First of all, you probably don't know as much as you think you know. But like, no joke. The gospel doesn't need keyboard warriors. It doesn't. It needs people that love people. People that are brokenhearted for people that don't view and look at things the way that they do. Man, we're missing it, aren't we? If Paul were to stand up behind this pulpit and look at the landscape of where we are, politically, spiritually, how would he digest it? How would he 
move forward. Yeah, I believe that the same way. Number one, the one who knows should be the one who shows. Does everybody see that? My heart's what? Desire and prayer concerning them is for their salvation. Look, maybe it's your family member. I know everybody's got family members, people in their family that, like, maybe they're the black sheep. I don't know. Maybe they just look and view things differently. They look through a different lens. Here's, here's my point today. The first thing when looking at the gospel, the righteousness of God, the first thing that I see is that there is an innate love for that human because they are just as much bearing the image of God as you are. And that is for that human that doesn't believe and share your values. Does, that, does everybody see that? Exemplified in the text right there. Number one, if you know the Lord, you should be concerned for other people's souls, regardless of whether they view church or things the way you see it. Does everybody see it? Okay, all right. You're like, ah, la, 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 don't want to hear it. No, <laughs> so much easier to hate people if we don't read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Look at number two. Verse number two, it says this. I can testify about them that they have zeal, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and, uh, here's the key, and attempted to establish their own what? Uh-huh. That's it. The problem with the other side of the argument is that they're attempting to establish their own righteousness. And here's what the Lord spoke to me about this week. I'm doing the same thing when I have a problem with them. If you ever have a problem with someone, and here's another little proverb, right, that sticks out. Only by pride cometh contention, Scripture says. Here's another one that just came to my mind. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, wherefore what? Take unto you the whole armor of God. The point is, is when we engage relationally in conflict with one another, we are letting the enemy win. Bottom line. When we decide to engage and fight with someone else on that level, we are then building our own social religious construct that is now in opposition to theirs. If we're resting in who Jesus is and what his righteousness is and does, we don't need to fight. Because it is. It's a state of being. Jesus said as Yahweh, I what? Am. He doesn't have to prove anything. He exists and is the way he is. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. You feel me? The problem is, is when you start fighting and when that friction comes, you must understand that you just switch sides. I'm just telling you the truth. What happened to taking a stand in truth? And, and, and I get that. I get it. But what really matters? You getting your point across or them seeing Jesus in you? You proving a point, maybe among another brother and sister, maybe someone who knows Jesus and you're debating something, that's an entirely different subject than you trying to portray Jesus to a lost and dying world. You trying to show Jesus to somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and you think you're going to prove something to them? Not a good idea. Okay, number two. Here's, here's the answer to this. I'm not just telling you what you should or shouldn't do. Like, I'm just saying this is what Paul did. The gospel should be shown as the tip of the spear, not your secondary ideologies that flow from your cultural or religious backgrounds. What's the answer to this? Well, number one, the one who knows should be the one who shows. Number two, here's what Paul is saying. Look at verse number two. I can testify about them that they have the zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the what? Righteousness of, that's the key. How do I know that that's the key? What's the thesis statement for the entire book of Romans? Thank you for asking. It's Romans 1, 16 through 17, and it says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Because it is the power of God for salvation, which is what he's talking about here. For everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From what? Faith to what? Faith. Just as it is written, the just, the righteous, will live by what? Faith. This is the point. Paul is echoing in chapter 10 the point that he made in chapter 1. And what is that? The whole purpose of Christoformity is for us to live by faith. What does that mean? It means that we are to show God's righteousness through us to a lost and dying world. How is that possible? Jesus justified you. We were standing in the seat of iniquity. We were uh, twofold, tenfold, twentyfold, the child of wrath in our sins, buried. And Jesus Christ came as the second Adam, and he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of who? God. Mm. Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, we now can bear the image of God again. The way we were designed, the way we were created, we can bear God's righteousness and reflect that to a lost and dying world. We can then be put on the witness stand for the gospel and declare Jesus innocent, even though he paid our penalty. We can accept responsibility for what we did, but also declare our loyalty for the one who paid for our price to go to heaven. Church, you, you've got to internalize this. You've got to see the big picture. Paul said, you know what the problem with them is? Is the fact that they're trying to be a good person, and they haven't realized that God is the only good thing to ever happen in this world. So let's reverse engineer that. Why do Christians have conflict? Why do Christians have problems with people? Because Christians start thinking that they're good. Because Christians start listing out their own righteous acts instead of representing the righteousness of God. God saved you not to be a good person. He saved you to be a good representative. Uh-huh. Look at the text. It says, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God. Sometimes I think we Christians are ignorant of the righteousness of God. Did you hear what so-and-so did? No? Well, let me tell you. It's a good one. It's a doozy. So, I don't know why. My, my, my hypocritical voice is like an 80-year-old smoking lady. <laughs> and let me tell you what Jesus did for me. <laughs> I don't know why. It just comes out that way. <laughs> that was my grandmother. In her, like, track suit with her misty 150s, you know. Let me tell you. Come here, Matthew. From Tennessee. I love you, sweetheart. <sighs> Definitely had a deeper voice than my grandfather. Love her. God rest her soul. Love you, Granny John. <laughs> so glad she could make an appearance today in church. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to get back on track here. I crack myself up sometimes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we got it all backwards. Like, we get the goodness of God. We get peace. We accept the Lord as our Savior. And then we take over. Yeah, as soon as we don't have, as soon as we've got the deliverance part, and we have the freedom part, and we're living in grace, then we throw everything out the window about representing God. And we forget that it was him who changed us. And then we just literally like take ownership of all that. I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> just ask me. Or my 80-year-old grandmother. She'll tell you too. <laughs> anyway, she'll come back. Just wait. Understand this. Like we have to see this perspective from the, from the right way. It's the righteousness of God. What they're missing is that they're trying to build their own construct. I wrote this. Maybe this will just bring some more clarity. In our text, it says they attempted to establish their own righteousness. If we are guilty and then set free because of our relationship with Jesus, then we need to be very careful not to construct or build a system, but rather reflect a person that has given us the victory. Listen to this. 
our propensity to be known by others can easily get in the way of being known and loved by him. One seeks approval, the other lives in his approval. I want to say that again. Our propensity to be known by others can easily get in the way of being known and loved by him. Maybe at the core of what I'm saying today is your desire to be known. Your desire to have friends. Your desire to be in community. We have that because we're made in God's image. But we can't let that desire shape our social constructs and change who God wants us to be. Teenagers, you do this by, by trying to be likable. You do this by giving in to peer pressure, right? By saying something that you know you shouldn't say because someone else wants to hear it. Adults, you do this. You invite people over to dinner, and I'm going to hit this again, who believe the way you what? Believe. Because it's harder to have conversation and more difficult to have a relationship with someone when they say things that in your heart you can't really agree with. It's harder to love someone that isn't like you. So therefore, I'm just not going to, I'm going to let my belief system form my social constructs and everything will be easy. And therefore, if you look around yourself and you look through your recent text messages, everybody who you're talking to and who you're surrounding yourself with is just like you. And even, we even go to a fault sometimes, right? And we don't even like uh, hang out with family because they're not like us or whatever. We can even look at our friend groups and say, I hang out with these people more than even my family. And what Paul is saying is you should be worried about your relationship with God the most. If the righteousness of God and you in right relationship with God is most important, then you will be filled, known, and loved. Like the psalmist said, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. What is that? That is someone who realizes that their righteous standing is because of God's righteousness. And Paul said, my concern is that my creator is pouring into me and then I will pour into everyone. It doesn't matter who I come in contact with. They don't have to look like me, act like me, smell like me, believe like me. I'm being filled and loved by God and therefore I can love everyone. That's the righteousness of God revealed in living by faith. Living by what is unseen versus what? What is seen. Y'all are like, yeah, man, I'm, I just got saved and I'm going to live by faith. Well, what does that mean? It means you're going to be surrounded by Christians that looked and act and smell like you? No. It means God pours into you and then you're an ambassador to whoever God wants you to speak to. But you're like, no, I don't speak to people who don't think the way I think. That's what I'm getting to. That's the problem. Here's what it is. Number one, the people who know should be the ones who show. Why? Number two, the tip of the spear. You ever, anybody been frog gigging? Anybody? If you're from the south, you've been frog gigging, okay? I remember going as a youngster. A guy who used to drive my bus, Billy Adams. Somebody tag him in this video. No. He was just an old southern boy from Alabama, about 6'4". He was funny. We'll just put it there. Let's go frog gigging, Matthew. And we'd, you'd walk around the edge of the ponds, right? And you'd see them. They'd little jump. But what you do is it's like a long spear, and it's got these, like, four prongs at the end of it. And you just... Tastes like chicken. Love those frog legs. I'm trying to tell y'all. If you ain't had frog legs, you're missing out. Babe, let's have some frog legs tonight. What do you think? We got some ponds around the house. I'm going gigging. Going gigging. Here's what it is. It's those prongs at the end. They got the little sharp barbs on them. And what it is is when it goes in, it's not made to come out. That barb catches that frog, and that's it. He ain't getting off. He can't get off that barb. See, y'all are like frog gigging with boards. 
You're like, you're like out there with a two by four. I'm gonna get them. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. You're gonna go to bed hungry. I'll be over here with my nice gig with my sharp barbs sticking and pulling one back to me. Why don't I ever reach anybody with the gospel? Maybe because the shirt that you're wearing that is all your political affiliations and have nothing to do with Jesus. You're out fishing with a two-by-four. Why don't I ever reach anybody? Because you look mad all the time. <laughs> because you're not nice. <laughs> okay, and now every wife is like, tell my husband now what I can't tell him. <laughs> Paul is like, my goal here is that I show them the righteousness of God. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes in, pierces, and it does not come out. Scripture does not return void. That's a nice gig. You'll pull people in with Scripture, but unfortunately, you can't put your political affiliations in front of the Scripture. That's frog gigging with a two-by-four. But everyone should know this. Oh. Not everybody grew up in a right-wing right -wing Republican household. And vice versa, if you're the left-wing Democrat, you got to chill. We got people on every end, right, that are like, hatred. Everyone hates, that don't believe the way I believe. Like, oh, my goodness. When are we all going to, like, wake up and realize that these politicians don't care about us, okay? <laughs> they don't care. Hey, can I get a clap? Yeah! Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. And today is a great day for me to announce, I'm running for governor! Yes! I'm so excited! <laughs> oh, anyway, but anyway, my point is, what you're doing is dumb. It's not working. And it's anti-scripture. And Paul says, listen, here's the thing. Just, and this is a part of our creed, right? Leading with love. The righteousness of God should be, that's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection. What Jesus did for you. Think about it this way. Here's another, oh my goodness, it's 12.07. It's okay, we're doing all right. <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? Think about this culture, right? Rome, house churches, Caesar. Think of Pax Romana. Think about the historical setting here, right? You have Caesar putting out propaganda saying that Rome is the answer to peace in all the empire. Were they really peaceful? Read this paper. I proclaim right now, if I don't, Caesar's going to kill me. <laughs> the Pax Romana is the declaration that the empire will bring peace. Sounds like some kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, doesn't it? Look, it's always been that way. And this is what gets me so excited about scripture. The good news, the gospel, when we say that word, we kind of like cheapen it when we don't think. It's a proclamation. Just like Caesar proclaims that Rome is the answer to peace among all, right? Among all people that accept the Roman Empire, Jesus came and he spread the good news that he actually will bring goodwill and peace towards what? All people. He is what, what every government tries to spread in propaganda from this point on, Jesus actually is the answer to. So if you're spreading a message of propaganda one way or another, understand that it's never worked and it won't work. The devil, the enemy, always will try to put God's people at odds with one another. But the gospel kills. It takes away his ammunition. And Paul says, I don't care if you're a Torah-abiding Jew or a non-Torah-abiding Gentile. I don't believe if you don't know what the law is, what the Pentateuch is. If you know Jesus, the name above every name, and you declare your loyalty to him, that's all I care about. And here we are in 2022, still getting sidetracked. Here's the question I ask. What's really important? Number one, those who know should show. Number two, the gospel should be shown as the tip of the spear, not your secondary ideologies that flow from your culture or religious background. And that religious background, that's a big one too. Your preferences, what you think is right, what you think scripture says, if there's anything I've learned through the years, is the book doesn't say as many of those things that you think it says. Like back when my wife wasn't allowed to wear pants, right? It's, it's just like there's all these like ideologies that we are baked into for the sake of control that like it's really not in the text. There's another way of looking at it, another way of seeing it. Well, the Bible can say whatever. No, 
you would just be surprised at what the biblical authors are not talking about that actually people say that they are for sake of control, once again. So that thing, that, that like thing that you're holding on to that you think every Christian should do, hold on to it a little bit looser and just worry about Jesus. Let him lead you. Let him lead someone else. Paul went at it a different way than Apollos did. Peter went at it a different way than, than Paul did. Everybody's okay. It's all about Jesus. Number three and, and last. Does everybody have communion? Okay, good. We'll do that during the invitation. Number three. I love this point. I'm, I'm here to tell you, this resonated so much with me, and I think it's neat, and I think you'll appreciate it. Number three, salvation or deliverance comes from your affiliation, not your ability. Here's the last thing I see here. If, look, if what we have talked about and discussed is true, that it's about God's righteousness and not our own, that it's about the Lord and his gospel and not our constructs of what we think righteousness looks like, then our salvation or our deliverance comes from our affiliation, not our ability. I know you know this, but how soon we forget. How soon we forget that we were not delivered because of our goodness. Look at the last uh, part there. Verse number 12, chapter 10, verse number 12, it says this. Since there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, and this is it, we're closing it down. Everybody stay with me right here. I saved the best for last. Since there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, because the same Lord of all, the same Lord, you see that language there? The same Lord of all richly blesses who? All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sometimes we isolate that and we think, see there, pray to Jesus and you'll go to heaven. First of all, the term salvation, uh, if we look at, let's see here. One who believes, verse 10, with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one who confesses with the mouth, res, with the mouth resulting in salvation. That word salvation comes from the Greek word sozo, which means deliverance. So when we say that we're saved or I I have, the Lord has saved me or I have found salvation. Here's what we're saying. According to the scripture, we're saying we've been delivered. I think sometimes we get scared of deliverance ministry because of Pentecostal churches or whatever. But that's really what that means. It means delivered. I've been delivered. And so if we're Paul, flip the script, right? Verse number one, it says that he in his heart prayed and, and he was moved with compassion for those that he saw so that they may be saved. Look at verse number one. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their deliverance. It means that we as Christians can see other people that don't believe the gospel. They are in chains. They are in bondage to their ideologies. They are literally sidetracked. Uh, the enemy has got them hoodwinked. The veil has been pulled over their eyes. And if we are believers, we can see that they're in bondage. And our prayer is that they would be set what? That's salvation. I want them to be delivered. I want them to be free. And when we come to them and we start talking with them about the things that are literally blinding them, that's not a good look. That's not a good method. Do you understand? So when we understand what salvation is, it's God freeing them. It's them being released from their chains of bondage because of the righteousness of God. And here's what it is. It's not a new concept. Do you understand that man was in bondage to their sin when the enemy deceived and corrupted? And whatever your perspective is, in Eden, the watchers, however you view that, we are in enslaved to our sin and bondage until God sets us free. And so from the beginning of time, here's what I want you to see what Paul is doing. When men and women call on the name of the Lord, they are saved. This is an echo of the Old Testament. The Bible says in Genesis 4:26, a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At the time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. 
So when Paul says in verse 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it's an Old Testament reference. It's saying what I understand and know to be true is Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. And just how you called on Yahweh in the wilderness before Israel was even a nation, when mankind chose to call upon God and they received an answer, it is the same, the same language that Paul uses. You call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved and you will be delivered. It's not a new thing or just a New Testament thing. Paul is saying, this is the same God. And salvation doesn't come from your ability to get out. It comes from your affiliation to align with the one and true God. How many of us have forgotten what delivered us? He reached down and he picked us up out of the mess that we're in and set our feet upon a rock and established our goings, as scripture said. How many of us have forgotten? Why, why do we not reach people? Why is our evangelism not effective? Why do we put secondary issues in front of the main issue? Because we have forgotten that it's our affiliation with God, not our ability. Look, we need to hit the reset button today, you feel me? We need to hit the reset button today and understand that when we called upon the name of the Lord, we were saved. When we aligned ourselves with Yahweh, when we aligned ourselves with Jesus, we were doing the same thing. He's the same God. He's working today like he worked yesterday and forever. He is the same. Do you understand? Look, what really matters? Our affiliation. So therefore, furthermore, so on and so forth, when we choose to put earthly affiliations above our affiliation with God, we're wrecking our gospel ministry. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.